This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 84 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by Index Fund Advisors, IFA.com. Horsemanship Radio is part of the family of the Horse Radio Network. Today, we have a roundtable of some of the most amazing people from the thoroughbred industry and from the polo industry and just plain horse appreciators. This is Debbie Lauks, and you're listening to the Horsemanship Radio. Thank you for joining us. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 1st and the 15th of the month. And I have my producer, Coach Jen, with me today. Jen, Greetings. Hi. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm really going to put you to work today. Oh, my gosh. You're, are you going for like the Guinness? Is there a Guinness World Book of Records category for most guests on a podcast? I get paid by the guest, apparently. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we are going to test your skills of connection, connectivity, I guess. Yeah, because, uh, there we go. Actually, yeah. we, we are already accomplishing it. We're teasing you a little bit because we wouldn't have said that out loud if we didn't know if we were going to pull it off or not. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we did. We were able to pull off, pulling together some storied, legendary trainers, all trainers uh, to one degree or another, and all super horsemen. We've got Duncan Taylor from TaylorMade Farms. We've got Alan Sherman of the wonderful Sherman Racing Team of California Chrome. Anybody heard of him? He's amazing. And uh, Chris Campson and Nick Roldan, they're both um, legendary and world-renowned and young polo players. And Nick Roldan is our uh, of our, our our U.S. polo captain, and he's number one in the U.S. And of course, internationally, he's just off the charts. He's really good. He's an eight goal going on ten, and, and with a bullet, as they say. And then we've got Monty Roberts, uh, my dad, and he is uh, pulling up the rear as the representative for also the thoroughbred racing, and also in fairness to the horse. Yeah, it's a it's a fascinating conversation and kudos to you for getting this put together for first could get because that's it's a lot to get these horse people on the phone i'm sorry i've got a secret i have a secret i have natasha becker is uh admin for um nick roldan and because of course he has one because he does so much and they are just a wonderful team that helped me pull these people together because uh there was a meeting just recently and that's what we're going to elaborate on a little bit is this meeting this this wonderful alliance that's forming and uh natasha was a big part of that team and she said you know what we really need to pull these together for horsemanship radio and she was right it was amazing it, it was, was really amazing, fun. it's an amazing group because we've got duncan taylor who is at the at the pinnacle of thoroughbred yeah. breeding with taylor made yep. farm which is where california chrome stands it stands now yeah yeah mm-hmm. we've got alan sherman from sherman racing again at the pinnacle of thoroughbred training yep and um old school though he they're not they're not new to the training industry they've been around not been doing at all this for generations We've got right. Chris and Nick, who are the best of the best in polo. They're not just amazing athletic polo players. They're also amazing advocates for horses and the polo industry. 
Well said. Right. Absolutely. Chris and, Campson, Chris Campson is, we're going to identify him as one of those guys that identifies horse flesh, um, as well as anybody out there, but he's also a, an amazing, he's, he's like seven feet tall and redhead. You can't miss him <laughs> in a crowd. <laughs> Uh, well-spoken though. These two, Nick and Chris are, uh, as impressive at their young age as our intergenerational Duncan Taylor and Alan Sherman, um, for their, you know, the, the, the accomplishments they've made because Chris and Nick, um, are really cause oriented horsemen too. They want to help horses out there. They see so many ways that they can touch lives in the horse industry and, uh, and, and preserve, our, our OTTBs, which is going to be the big conversation today, what to do with off-the-track thoroughbreds and how to uh, repurpose them, give them a new career, give them a second career, maybe give them a first career. It's yeah. it's really, yeah, it's really, um, I, I'm just honored to be able to pull them together. And then, of course, uh, Dad just sort of gelled the conversation because he's had a foot not only in the thoroughbred industry, which um, a lot of people, if you know his background, it was 20 years of his life at the top with the thoroughbred industry. And that's how he changed careers, really, was because people asked, how do you do it? How do you not fry thoroughbreds? brains and how do you give them long careers or even repurpose them and then um you know later on he became uh, an advocate for polo ponies changing too when uh, a neighbor of ours joel baker brought some of the top polo players on earth and i don't even know if some of the records will be broken that would be the Gracida brothers uh, and uh they they came to the farm they saw join up happen they said this is a better way and we're going to start our polo ponies and then they later on brought on uh the likes of adolfo cambiasso and you know just figueras nick it's it just you know, it's been an honor to see the polo industry come around to um, a different way to start yeah, their horses. Yeah. It's really mm-hmm. interesting because these varied people from such different areas of the of the horse world, um, really big 30,000 foot topics come up in this conversation. Um, mm-hmm. Confirmation of the horse versus the horse's personality and how that plays mm-hmm. into his first and second career. Yeah, so interesting. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. The nature versus nurture, because there's two sides to every horse's career, and there's two sides to every trainer's theories, and they mm-hmm. both play in. And it's interesting to hear the difference um, on how the different aspects, breeders and trainers and um, advocates, look at that. And then it was interesting, too, how often the topic and the theory of the language of equus or join up, how often that came up in the conversation. So maybe we should prove prerequisite this interview a little bit because they don't go into any really the details this is very this is a very broad conversation they're going to have for folks who are not familiar with what join up really is maybe we should um, go over that a little bit so once they get to that into the in the conversation they do it several times it makes a little bit more sense to somebody who might not be familiar yeah, absolutely. So Duncan Taylor, son of Joe Taylor, uh, which is you know one of the most famous names in uh, certainly the breeding industry, but the thoroughbred industry, TaylorMade Farms. Uh, everybody will know that either that or they think it's a golf company, but <laughs> it's TaylorMade <laughs> it Farms, which it is, <laughs> which it is, separate company. <laughs> yeah, but. Uh, Duncan brings it up first, I think, where he said, I remember, Monty, when you came back to Kentucky like 20 years ago and you showed us 
join up. Um, he says advance or retreat. He uses different terms, but that's because it was so new back then. Right. Nobody knew what, what the else heck would you call it? he was I don't doing. know that Monty had a name for it yet. Uh, he called it, you know, he would say there was two definitions at that point. There was join up, which was sort of the process, the the moment where he got a horse in the round pen and then that horse made a choice to trust him. That was called the moment of join up. But then it's it later expanded to be uh, join up meant really live by the concepts of fairness to the horse and join up for the rest of the horse's life. So real quickly, uh, you can get a join up in four or five minutes. If you know what you're doing, you should know what you're doing, but you should know what you're doing in anything where you handle a horse, but taking the horse into the round pen and putting him through his flight mechanism. In other words, you take a a horse in there who doesn't know you and is, you know, uh, not that familiar with the surrounding or anything. His first instinct is to take flight. So let him, I mean, that's his natural instinct. Let him express that. So a handler standing in the middle of the round pen will direct that horse in what we call the send away. The send away goes around a few times one way, let him do it the other way because remember they're brains or two hemispheres and not that much passes through. So let them see you from both sides. Let them express it from both sides. And when they've burnt off some of that energy, and literally it's just, you know, a handful of times around the round pin back and forth, uh, then let them start to exhibit on that third turn those things that communicate within the herd the the relaxation and beginning to trust a person. There are signs like, uh, well, slowing down. As long as you are bringing your body uh, into um, some sort of passive position, then that horse will slow. That horse will usually drop his head. There's no particular order of this conversation. He will lick and chew. That's relaxation. That's adrenaline dropping. And that's what happens when the mouth is a little bit dry. And then they'll lick and chew. There'll be the ear locked on. That's usually the first sign. That inside ear locks on the hand. The outside ear says uh, he still looks for the sounds coming from the outside of the round pen, especially in a closed wall pen. But that that that's the gestures of join up. And when the the handler goes on a passive stance, 45 degree angle to the horse, the horse has a choice right then and there. If he's expressed himself and you've expressed yourself in gestures that you're trustworthy now, he will come right to your shoulder just like Velcro. Am I right, Jen? Yes, I was bragging on Nigel earlier. <laughs> it's cool, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, really yeah. Cool. That, that's like prompting me because I love to talk about Nigel. It is. It's just, it's crazy. And I, I like that you started this conversation with, um, again, the larger conversation. This is living your horsey life not just doing something in a round pen. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's doing something in a round pen, and it's, it's, it's key, but it's so much more. It's, it, it, this is not the join up and the language of Equus isn't all about um, taking a horse into a round pen, causing them to join up, leaving the round pen, and putting the chain back over his nose. Right. It's not what it's exactly. about. It's about taking those concepts, applying them in the round pen, learning join up, but applying it to your entire relationship with the horse world and hello people Mm -hmm. too and that's interesting because this conversation we're about to have with all of these amazing horsemen takes that same tone it's about changing the entire relationship and improving that entire relationship Um, and it's very obvious that everyone in the room understands that the language of equus and join up are very much um, at the root of that for both 
thoroughbreds in their first careers as racehorses and as their second or even third careers after the fact. Well said. There we go. So let's hear from IFA.com, our wonderful sponsor, and then we'll get right to it. Hi, I'm Mark Hebner, president of Index Fund Advisors and proud owner of Monty Roberts Willing Partners graduate, He's a Sugar Bear. (laughs) You know, investment portfolios are a lot like horses. You need to find one that best suits you, your temperament, and your stage of life. Some people might like an energetic horse and an aggressive investment portfolio, while others are more comfortable with a gentle ride and a more conservative investment portfolio. The trick is to find the one that's right for you. That's what Index Fund Advisors is all about, matching people with portfolios, risk-appropriate, low-cost, and globally diversified investment portfolios. You can find the right portfolio for you by taking the Risk Capacity Survey at ifa.com. That's IFA as an Index Fund Advisors. Or you can call us toll-free at 888-643-3133. That's 888-643-3133. Well, welcome. I have a huge stable of men on the line today. I've got Duncan Taylor from TaylorMade Farms. I've got Alan Sherman from Sherman Racing. I've got Chris Campson. From uh, Chris Camp's got a great Facebook page. You should go there. Uh, he's a polo player extraordinaire, and Nick Roldan, best in the U.S. And uh, we've got uh, Monty Roberts, who is uh, representing Thoroughbred uh, Racing today too. So welcome everybody. Let's hear from each one of you first. Is Nick there? Yeah, I'm here. Yep. Hi guys, how's everyone doing? Very good, very good, Nick and Alan. You're there. Yes, I'm here. Alan, good to hear from you, Duncan Taylor. Yeah, I'm here. Thank you. There's our Duncan Taylor made farms. And we've got Monty Roberts. Hello, I'm here. Thank you. And Chris Campson, we got you? Yes, I'm here. Thanks so much. Hi, Chris. Hi, Chris. Well, Nick and Chris got to meet California Chrome the week of the Pegasus World Cup recently. And, um, and so thanks to the help with uh, some of Nick Roldan's uh, horse handlers, Terry Galatelli first and TaylorMade Farm and Sherman Racing and even the Stronic Group uh, together with the uh, Thoroughbred Aftercare Alliance. They are interested in talking about the topic of, of polo and Thoroughbred specifically in polo. I'd like to start with you, Nick. Um, why did you bring us all together? You're, you're the leading polo player in the U.S., your eight-goal handicap. Uh, which is just amazing, and the youngest polo player in the world to win the U.S. Polo Cup at age 15. And you're currently the captain of the U.S. Polo Team. So what brings you into the world of thoroughbred racing and and going to see California Chrome? You know, uh, it's funny you say, but, um, you know, I, you know I've, I've been playing a lot of uh, thoroughbreds, you know, um, you know, close to, you know, pretty much my whole life. You know, we do have a lot of Argentine bred horses in the polo world as well, but um, thoroughbreds are becoming more and more common. And, um, you know, I was lucky enough, um, to play one of the main games about a month ago. And one of my horses won best playing pony, uh-huh. um, a best playing pony award. And she happened to be a thoroughbred. And I think that, uh, 
you know, that caught the attention of OTTB and the thoroughbred aftercare. And, um, and thanks to Terry Galatelli, who's a, a wonderful woman who works with me. Um, her and her husband are my, our, our horse, or her husband's a horse trainer and she works in the horse uh, racing industry and now works in polo. And, and, um, and she had some connections, connections in the, in the, um, in the racing world, I think with Alan, I think, and Duncan, correct, I think. And, um, and anyways, long story short, um, I think it created some activity, created some, uh, some interest. And, um, you know, one thing led to another and we were, uh, Chris and I found ourselves, you know, a week before the Pegasus, uh, the world cup race, um, meeting, uh, uh, California Chrome, which was an, an unbelievable experience. And we got to speak to Duncan and we got to meet Alan and, you know, it was just, uh, you know, one of those experiences you probably, you know, once in a lifetime and, and, uh, you know, I could speak for Chris, you know, I think, uh, that was, that was really exciting for us and, and for our, you know, our passion and Chris has a huge passion for, for horses, especially thoroughbreds. And, you know, I think Chris will go on and tell you a little bit more about what he does, but he has a, a great eye for good, for good, uh, for good, you know, thoroughbreds and, and has a great hand to, pr- to produce them and, um, and I've been very lucky to, to be happy to be able to buy some off of him that have done really well. So, um, so that's a little bit, a little, you know, a little short, you know, story of how, how we got involved, but, um, right. you know, polo so, you know, polo is the sport. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to uh, pull Chris in here because uh, you didn't say the horse's name. This is Cubana. Am I right, Chris? Yes. Yeah. Tell me, tell me what your uh, association with Cubana was that you got her all the way to such an impressive so, award. <laughs> um, I, I saw her in Kentucky. Uh, she had just come off the racetrack and she looked like the type. She looked, she was pretty much the body and build of what I wanted uh, to be buying off the racetrack. And so I was lucky enough to actually be able to, to jump on her real quick, uh, like a day off the track and jumped on her. I asked her to do some certain moves and she she just really had an aptitude to really want to learn and do polo and had a great natural stop, a natural, really natural gait to the side. She was, she really just from the first minute I asked her to do certain polo moves that usually, you know, some horses can't do. She just decided she liked it. And mm-hmm. so I bought her right there on the spot and brought her to Florida with me and started training her down here. And so I had her for about, a year and so before before Nick and I were talking one afternoon, and uh, I said, "Why don't you jump on this mare?" And she's been doing pretty well for me. I gave it to Nick in a practice, and all of a sudden he, she was doing more moves than I ever thought the mare could do. Mm. Yeah. And, uh, so, so I uh, I've heard a statement made, and you tell me if it's if it's correct or not. That in polo, it's considered that the horses are eighty percent of the game, while the players only contribute twenty. That's yeah, very true. If I you don't have a good horse, you can't yeah, get to the ball. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, uh, it's, uh, I think it's like in, in, in most equestrian sports, but, um, I mean, I think, you know, in polo, uh, horses for the most part, you know, the best teams with the best horses are the ones that win. So, um, and what we have found more and more of is that the thoroughbred is becoming more and more popular in the polo world. Um, you know, they've been around for a long time. And back in the day, Monty, I'm sure you know, Carlos Rosita and Memo, they sort of started the trend back in the day. And, you know, I think it's, it's continued. And, um, you know, even a lot of the Argentines are now producing and, 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 and purchasing thoroughbreds in the United States to bring to, to play here and to bring overseas and in, even to Argentina. So, 
Uh, you know, we're big fans, and that's why uh, Chris and I got involved with uh, OTTB and, and the, the Thoroughbred Aftercare because, you know, we believe in the breed and, and uh, we believe that, you know, uh, you know, there really could, there is, there really is a, lot, a huge um, opportunity for, them for, for an afterlife for these horses that come off the track. Fantastic. So I'm going to throw a question over to our thoroughbred trainers today. And Alan, I'll start with you. What suggestions can you give the trainer of thoroughbreds uh, to help extend their careers? Well, I think, uh, you know, time, you know, you try it not to start them too early and try and give them time to develop and not over race them. And, you know, it's hard to keep these horses sound. And um, I think if, if we could give them a little, uh, a few more breaks, you know, between races would be great. But um, you know, it, it, it's a it's a hard breed to keep sound. But um, you know, as as far as the training them goes, you just try not to be too hard on them and keep them happy and fresh, and uh, you know, just uh, try to do the right thing by the horse. Yeah. Okay. And and Monty, could you could you help us with that one? Well, it was a great um, thing to hear just before my time on here from Chris because I feel that, you know, the good trainer can make the horse do whatever he wants him to, but the great trainer can cause the horse to want to do it. Mm. And um, the Sherman group, I mean, I go way back with them uh, in the days when I had flaggers up going here and we sent horses off to them. And um, the whips in racing, I think, uh, contribute to a lot of our problems because they're trying to drive a horse into something he doesn't want to do. Mm. And and um, my genetics teachers all said that the thoroughbred horse was a unique character that had either fast twitch or slow twitch muscles. And the polo ponies that I see coming out of the thoroughbred industry, and man, you have to know that the thoroughbred horses are my favorites because if you think about it, there's no there's no quarter horse racing without thoroughbreds. Mm. None. Every horse that goes in that starting gate um, has thoroughbred blood in him, and most of them are almost pure. And Memo and Carlos brought uh, the first of the uh, well, um, going back to Joel Baker, bringing Memo and Carlos to me caused them to start thinking about thoroughbreds more for polo. And <clears throat> if you get a, a, a muscular thoroughbred and you keep him happy with his work, he can go play polo for you better than any other breed, bar none. Mm. And if we could just get the racing industry to think a little more as uh, Alan and Chris have just talked about to think a little more about those breaks and, and things that would preserve the horses for a longer period of time and things that would take away from the stress of racing, because I'm not so sure that the thoroughbred horses are any harder to keep sound than the others. It's the task we put them to mm-hmm. that is the culprit in, in causing them to go unsound in my opinion. Um, but a group like this, and I'm honored to be on with these men, a group like this could make such a huge difference in this industry of ours. 
And England is down to three strikes with the whip now, and Scandinavia is whip-free. And they're not reporting slower races, and they're not reporting nearly the accidents that they had, because mm. everybody knows that about 80% of all the accidents occur when the whips come out, when mm. horses start changing their directions and stuff. So I won't talk on about this a whole lot longer, but I'm I'm for reducing the violence in our industry and mm-hmm. violence is, is to me causing a horse pain um, with any whip. And, and this business of saying, oh, I need my whip for safety. Come on. Uh, the whips are causing the accidents. Mm-hmm. Um, th- th- there's no whip that has averted an accident, in my opinion. Okay. But um, it's, a, it's a, a group of people that are on this phone that could really make a change in this world. Even mm-hmm. Australia's talking about it now. The U.S. is the last one to, to really take into consideration a movement to cause the horses to like their work, mm-hmm. uh, such as they've done in Scandinavia. Okay. Well, uh, thank you. And and uh, I'll say, um, also, yeah, yeah. In, in the in, in the United States and now for Polo, we um, there, we didn't we never used to have any rules or regulations in terms of uh, how many times you could whip. And now now um, you, you cannot whip a horse while you're standing still. Uh, you can only whip it when you're in a play, and you can only whip it once. Uh, so they're they're working as well. To try, they're trying to they're trying to uh, make those rules a little bit tighter and and, and limit it, limit a lot of that as well. So. That's great to hear. That's you know, good. when my first when my first book came out, the videos will show you that the whip was used about sixty percent. It's reduced by forty percent since my first book came out, mm-hmm. and and falling rapidly. So, um, you know, if I can be an influence to cause the horses to like their work, I, yeah. I want to do that. It it'll help. Yeah, and I was going to speak to Duncan about that, about liking your work. Uh, Duncan, to you, Chrome has a, a great new career as a stallion, probably the best. And uh, if he were a gelding, I'm going to just change it up a little bit. If he were a gelding, what would he like to do? You know him as well as anyone. Uh, he'd like to keep running. He'd like to keep running. <laughs> uh, if, uh, yeah. you know, I think the, the thoroughbred... Uh, with purses like the $12 million Pegasus and the $10 million Dubai World Cup, that will keep more horses in training longer than even if they aren't geldings. Because Mm -hmm, California Chrome would have never had its performance in 2016. There's one person responsible for that, and that's Sheikh Mohammed because he had the $10 million Dubai World Cup. Mm -hmm, That's the reason he stayed in training. The Pegasus wasn't even uh, in existence then. So those kind of purses make people think twice. It's a lot more fun racing the horse than it is uh, watching him breed. Mm-hmm. Well, he's an amazing athlete. I mean, there's there's no question. I think everybody would agree that if he wanted to do something else, I think he could do it. But over to the polo players. So what does a polo player look for in OTTB, Chris? So I look for uh, shorter, short cannon bones. Short pasterns. Okay. Fifteen one with a I I personally prefer a lower head carriage, but okay. you know, I, it doesn't at the end of the day it doesn't matter because a lot of the I find out as the more I'm like selling and buying horses, a lot of the amateur players and the lower goal players 
feel more confident with a horse that has a higher head carriage because they feel like they're not going to fall over in front. So, the, I mean, head carriage isn't vital, but the other things are. I mean, shorter cannon bones seem to have less injuries, good bone structure. We want the quarter horse look of a thoroughbred in, in a thoroughbred. Yeah. Right. Basically. Yeah, man. Yeah. yeah. This so, is this is Moni saying, "Yeah, man." <laughs> <laughs> really good. Do do you do you consider their career, uh, their their thoroughbred racing career, when you're looking at an OTTB? You know what's funny is that some people have told me, uh, I mean, oh, you don't ever want a horse that's raced more than five times to come to polo. Well, I ended up buying a couple mares, and then I got their papers when I looked up their tattoo, and I found out like. One mare I had that was phenomenal. Uh, she ended up, uh, I ended up losing her on, on a polo field, but she, she had raced like 27 times and she became my fifth chucker mare. So oh. I don't know. she must, she must've had the head for it. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's, that's what I was going to ask you about next is temperament. Cause you did describe, uh, a confirmation and I'm sure that's important, but that could be on any horse, I suppose too. But tell me about, especially the OTTBs and their temperaments. You know, uh, I, I think it's actually pretty great and it speaks volumes of the horses that they can actually go race, you know, 20 times and then come off the track, give them a two, three month break, let them recover and, also teach them a whole new thing that's completely contrary to what they've ever learned, which is stop, turn, uh, you know, it's asking to do natural movements, but you're showing them what they can do naturally with you on their back instead of just get on and go. And so they have to have that, that right mindset. Some of them, some of them just from day one, you know, have been just told, go, 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 go. Uh, but others, others really adapt to it very quickly. Yeah. So you want, you want a very calm horse. Uh, naturally and some some of the thoroughbreds really do have it this is probably a good spot to take a break to hear from one of our sponsors but debbie what are we going to talk about on after the break how could the thoroughbred trainer encourage and, and even like recognize the second career of thoroughbreds your horse is your partner in sport in leisure and just in life to keep him at his peak performance and optimal health a solid nutritional foundation is key. Ideally, horses are able to graze fresh growing grasses, which most closely mimic their natural diet. But that may not always be possible, and we may need to supply some of those missing ingredients in today's diets and provide more functional foods. One component of a horse's diet that is often underfed are omega-3 fatty acids. While more prevalent in fresh forages, harvested forages are lower in omega-3 fatty acids due to their more advanced maturity. Obviously, grasses and legumes have to grow to a sufficient height in order to be harvested, while foraging patterns of horses show great preference for shorter, less mature plants. That's why modern horsemen and horsewomen trust Omega Horseshine to provide a powerful, bountiful source of omega-3 fatty acids for their equine partners. Look for Omega Horseshine from Omega Fields at your local tack and feed supplier or you can find them online at omegafields.com. I'll go over to the thoroughbred trainers now, and I'll start with you, Duncan. How could the thoroughbred trainer encourage and, and even like recognize the second career of thoroughbreds? You know, I would uh, defer to Bonnie because Bonnie 
he came back to Lexington and uh, showed us his natural horsemanship methods. And, uh, you know, it was really amazing what what he could do with the horse in a short amount of time and have the horse cooperating with him. And, you know, these horses coming off the track, I'd like to ask Monty, can you, does he think putting them through the advance and retreat and working with them after they've been on the track, that might even help repurpose them. So even if they were go, go, go all the time, could mm-hmm. that advance and retreat system that he has take some of that out of them so they would, if they're athletic, they could be made to be a better polo uh, pony and they wouldn't just be head crazy. Well, obviously, Duncan, this is Monty answering you. And, um, I couldn't agree more that join up causing the horse to trust you would put them in a position whereby they could move to the polo field vastly better than the horse that didn't trust you. So a join up would be a huge aspect in my opinion of training people how to retire a horse into polo. That that's huge. And Debbie, if you would like to put a group together to do some sort of a video for all people that want to move horses from racing to uh, polo, I'd be happy to contribute my time to that. Absolutely. And and I would add to that, Duncan, that I think in in the future, and I think uh, Chris and Nick would both agree with me that we'll start finding that certain trainers are the one that you want a horse from and certain trainers are not what you want a horse from because it'll be that pressure that they put on them or fail to put on them. That'll cause the horse to retire with um, a good brain and uh, a confident uh, attitude towards human beings. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll, I'll, I'll put in, I mean, I, I definitely agree with that Monty. Um, you know, uh, you know, I think that goes hand in hand with, you know, with polo trainers and, and polo players, um, you know, making, turning racehorses into, into polo horses is, is tough and it's time consuming and it's, you know, you have to have a lot of patience and, and like Chris was saying before, you know, or um, I don't know, it was Chris or it was uh, Alan or I don't know, but, uh, you know, I think the, the key to, to producing horses that are going to last longer and that are, gonna, are is giving them time, you know, and what we've found uh, with, with polo horses is, I mean, back in the day, we used to play horses at a top level at four years old, five years old, and six years old. And what we were finding is by the time they were 10 years old or nine, I mean, they were done. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and if you can give them that extra year or two, you know, with Chris and I, I mean, we don't push our horses now till late sixes or sevens. Um, you know, Kubana, is, wh- wh- how old is Kubana, Chris? Seven, eight? Late. Yeah, I think she's seven, eight. Yeah. And, um, I mean, she's now just getting, you know, she's now just starting to get pushed, so... Um, you know, every, every trainer ha- has a different hand and, and Chris has a, Chris is very good at getting them going and, 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 and putting cool heads in their mind and teaching them all the basics. And, uh, you know, I think every trainer is different, but that's also very important. Yeah. This is Monty uh, chiming in, but I, 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 what I was referring to was the Allen side of thing that I, I think we're going to be looking to certain trainers that send horses, um, to polo, w- which are, cooperative and relaxed horses as opposed to the fry brains that often come off the racetrack. I agree with Monty. I think a lot has to do with their, with the first time that a human gets on their back and teaches them how to put a saddle and ride. I think a lot comes down to it. 
that the ones that get the proper training from day one of this is the brush, this is nice, this is, you know, they, they, yeah. they end up having better brains later in life. Yeah, no question about it. This, this is Duncan. If I, if I was in the polo business, I would try to find some way to communicate to the thoroughbred world just what uh, Nick said about, or maybe it was Chris, about the confirmation of the horse. Because I can think of certain stallions, like a horse like Spitestown, sounds like he throws a lot what you're looking for in a polo pony. So if, if everybody just knew what he said a minute ago, they would be able to say, you know, I think this horse would work and would be thinking about, let's say, the horse that wasn't racing all, all is great or he lost his enthusiasm for racing, they would have more opportunities. They'd be getting more calls. Hey, this is a horse that I think I think may have a, uh, a career at that if you want to come look at him. Yeah. I mean, I would right. love that. Probably, yeah, probably true with trying to repurpose horses for a lot of different aspects of uh, – in different fields of horsemanship, if we knew more about each other's field, we could probably repurpose more horses. Yeah, and I and I and I think I think that I think yeah I think and I think that comes with 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 all the equestrian disciplines sort of coming together under one roof, right? And uh, you know, and trying to support and help each other. Um, and I think that you know that's, that's kind of our our mission, what we'd love to do. Exactly. Yeah, this is this is Monty chiming in. I, I still would like to go back there and have a convention of the Farm Managers uh, Association back there in Lexington and show them this trained-off pressure thing that can happen at 12 months and 14 months of age where they learn to move off the leg because our racehorses never learn to move off of anything. They have a rider on them with the leg right up at the top of their rib cage, and they don't learn to move off of anything and the first thing that attacks them in the flank is the rail in the in the starting stall. And horses being into pressure, they'll lean on those rails. And I've developed, or the horses have taught me, um, how to do this at 12, 14 months of age before they go to a yearling sale. And I've been thinking about uh, making a situation whereby they could be certified as horses that have been trained off pressure so they know how to give to that. And then when the polo rider gets on, it's a, it's a natural that they're coming off of it. The dressage world has known this forever, and um, oftentimes they say they need to ride a horse two to three years before they do flying changes. Well, the reason they do is that they're teaching them to come off their leg. And um, through some horses that taught me, I've discovered that you can do this in a week to 10 days um, at 12 to 14 months of age, and they never worry about their flanks being attacked. So the, the, there's some things going on here that I'd be happy to help with um, at 82 years of age. Don't let me go away from here without giving you these these things. Um, they they really make sense uh, when you study the brain of the horse. Very good, Alan. Uh, you haven't yes. weighed in yet. Did you want to weigh in on uh, what can the thoroughbred trainer encourage and and recognize in a horse for their second careers? Well, uh, you know, like they said, it sounds like polo ponies are, um, they have to do a lot of starting and stopping and turning. And so, like he said, short cannon bone and all that would be, that's uh, obviously going to keep um, them easier on them being built that way to be able to do that kind of stuff. Um, 
you know, it, it, it'd be great if every trainer can just go pick out what kind of horse he wants. But in, in our business, it just doesn't happen. People send us horses and, you know, we just have to deal with their confirmation and, and either train around it or, or, you know, they train through it or give them time, whatever the case may be. The horses are all individuals, so mm-hmm. you got to treat them as such. Very good. Uh, so it, it, it's, uh, it's a little bit different situation. I'm not picking out every one of my horses like the polo guys are, so it, it's a little bit harder. Yeah, but, yeah. But, but this is Monty, just quickly, again, um, that's, that's cool. And, and Alan is dead right. He has to just deal with the horses that come to him. He doesn't get a chance to pick these confirmations very often. But anyway, when these horses retire, what about those with the long cannon bones and, and 17 hands that can go jumping if they have a brain and can go in the hunter division? or can be ridden by a child somewhere. Um, there's a lot of ways for these horses to go that we all ought to help the Shermans of the world um, to understand that during the racing time, if they come out of that category with a good mind, then they can do a lot of different things, including jumping and hunting and, and pleasure riding and playing polo. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Chris? I I mean I agree. There's a lot of I mean there there's I, I think there's something there's something for every horse. Like I I had a polo a mare that I was trying to make into a polo pony. She decided, you know, she didn't want to do it. I ended up selling her or giving her away to a friend of a friend in Lexington, and she now is a pistol competition horse at some uh. rodeo event where they should <laughs> offer her. And so the lady, you know, the, the, the lady that I gave her to sent me a update, you know, via Facebook and everything. Like, can you believe this is the same mare? And I was like, I couldn't believe it. She was scared of everything and I couldn't get her over not being scared. And now they're shooting pistols off of her. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's great. Great. Some kind that's of great. <laughs> okay. So uh, Duncan, I'll ask this of you too. So just to get all, all things aired out here too. Uh, if you were con- considering the, um, the breeding of one of these thoroughbreds, is there a stigma by some in the racing industry? If, if a thoroughbred goes into polo in her career, I mean, you see black type and you're, you're happy, but does it, you know, is there a stigma to, uh, seeing polo in her career? No, I don't think so. The only stigma would be if they, if somebody, if I had a mare and they bought the foal and took it straight to polo and never gave it a chance to run, then that hurts the value of my mare because it doesn't have a chance to do what makes uh, the value go up for the people that I'm dealing with. Mm-hmm. But as far as uh, if I've got a filly in the pedigree and um, it goes in, and uh, is a polo pony, the only thing that would be the stigma is if she retired at 10 years old and she was going to have her first foal then. Mm-hmm. I think that it's, it's more going to happen with colts and, and, and gildings. And, they're, and I'm sure it's going to happen with fillies, but more than likely they're not going to come back and even be bred. They're going to be up to such a caliber that, and I've, I've talked about the confirmation of the horse. I'm talking about the pedigree. Yeah. The pedigree is not going to be to the standard that, um, that the thoroughbred world would want them back, and it would be uh, viable to breed them to a stallion and produce a foal and try to make make a profit. 
because if, if the Philly's got that good a pedigree, he's probably going to be too expensive to go into uh, polo discipline anyway. Mm-hmm. But I don't think there's any 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 uh, any negativity. I think that uh, most thoroughbred people would love it if they're uh, if they're uh, Philly or gilding that they that they didn't want anymore went and was successful in polo. That would that they would get a kick out of that and make them proud. Good. Yeah, good. What do you think, Alan? Oh, I agree 100% uh, with Duncan on that. Monty agrees, too. Oh, there we go. Well, I mean, Dad's had, Monty's had Will Simpson take a, a horse, a thoroughbred named Nepur, uh, who Hap Hansen rode, too. You remember, Dad? And, and, uh, won everything in jumping and you had rough frolic frolic as a, as a hunter. So I know you've had a lot of experience in uh, repurposing. So it uh, seems to me an owner would be happy that a, that a horse goes on and does something. Yeah. And you know, uh, rough frolic sold for 550,000 as a hunter. There he was s- seven times the leading hunter and a gelding. So I, I agree with Duncan completely that, uh, any thoroughbred breeder would be proud of that, uh, whether or not he owned the mare, uh, if they can go on and, and have a life that, uh, w- once they're finished with racing, it would make any of us proud to be the breeder of it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Chris, uh, I w- I'll ask you for the polo side of it. Uh, other dis- disciplines are doing a good job, I think, identifying OTTBs. Uh, they're giving, uh, I, we happen to know in our neighbor, Bunny Sexton, uh, rode the Rolex on a on an OTB. TB. She would say uh, that was, um, let's see, she had a 16-year-old uh, rise against, and they competed in their... Um, first four star and, and took 24th in Rolex. So uh, she would say that she couldn't afford a really uh, wonderful warm blood or something for her eventing. What is, what is Polo doing to identify OTTBs uh, to say that they're, they're, uh, you know, being in, used in yeah? this country, in this country, we haven't done enough. Uh, it's just going to get off the ground. Hopefully if we, okay. you know, I hope, yeah, that's, I hope we're trying to work yeah, on it with the Thurbert Alliance. Uh, and we're trying to get this off the ground. I, in, in England, they make a very big deal about it. And I think it's phenomenal. Uh, yeah. And I would really like to see that same thing happen here in the States because the amount of horses that are actually, I'm, I'm actually currently watching a U.S. Open or a CV or a Whitney game right now in the 26th school. And I don't know, I was looking at the last trucker and I'd, say there's eight horses in the polo field five of them were probably off the track thoroughbreds being played oh. today or four wow so i mean they're, they're here in polo and people need to see people need to know which ones are which right. uh the best playing pony award at the game i would love to see one that's uh you know not just the best playing pony for the game but the best playing off the track thoroughbred for the game as well very good yeah and Nick, uh, what what else? Tell us a little bit about the Thoroughbred Aftercare Alliance. Maybe that will help us. Yeah, I mean that that's I mean that's how we we, we sort of got involved, and that's what we're trying to do is we're trying to really uh, promote and expose you know all the American thoroughbreds playing in our sport. Um, in, in England, they do that in all of the big finals. They'll put these uh, stickers on the horses' butts, um, which you know which show that the horse is an English thoroughbred. 
And, um, and, you know, we haven't quite done it here. We're, you know, we're also, what we're also trying to do, which, you know, is obviously done hugely in the equestrian world and in the racehorse world and jumping or in the dressages, you know, in, in those sports, the horses are famous, you know, those are the, 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 the famous athletes, you know, they're the, those are the ones that are getting the limelight. And in polo, uh, you know, for the most part, because there are so many horses being used during each game, it's been tough. But I think, I think, you know, you know, the sport of polo is getting more and more popular and more professional. I think we're at a point where we need to, we need to promote it as much as possible. And, uh, and we need to give them a chance and really expose them, um, to the rest of the world and make them, you know, as, as famous or more famous than the polo players. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we're working on it. It's, 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 it's work in progress, but you know, we're working on a few things to try to get, uh, some, some, some pony awards and for some of the big tournaments this, this winter here in Florida. So, uh, you know, we're trying, we're trying. Yeah. And, and the thoroughbred aftercare Alliance, what is it? Maybe it's morphing now, but what, what is their mission statement? The thoroughbred, uh, say that again. Yeah. Sorry. The TAA, their mission is to just, I mean, it says aftercare Alliance. Is that just to take care of thoroughbreds? Or are they actually trying to repurpose them? I think. Yeah, give them a second career after after racing. Perfect. So it's not just uh, um, watching them drift into the sunset and hoping that they have a nice afterlife. Yeah, exactly. It's it's giving them a second career in in, in any other sport, whether it's polo or or, or spinal racing or like you know whatever, or jumping or you know whatever sport that is. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. yeah. Perfect. I I think that what we were talking about before that Monty. Uh, offered about the join up, I call it advance retreat. That that's such a uh, it's the psychology of the horse and knowing how to speak to the horse in not a verbal language, but it's it, it's a movement language, and that can help so many horses off the track and every type of horse. If more horsemen knew this, because you know, whether you're trying to gentle up a horse so, it, so more people could ride it and enjoy being with the horse or whether you're repurposing it for a polo pony or whether you're trying to get it so it, you can make a hunter or jumper out of it. It's just basically a language that is the you learn how to speak the horse's language. And when you do that, the whole relationship changes. And it, it's really an amazing thing if if all of you all, have, you probably have everybody on the phone's witnessed it, but if you haven't, you definitely ought to, ought to uh, take the time and let Monty do the video and, and try to work that into to repurposing these horses because, you know, everybody in Kentucky thinks they know everything. When Monty came back here, nobody wanted to really pay attention to him. And my dad said, well, come out here and let's do it at our farm. And when I saw it, when I was growing up as a kid, I used to have to go down to my granddad and he'd have standard breads. And he would never lead them, and they would be yearlings, and I'd have to get a halter on them and teach them to lead. <laughs> when I saw Monty do what he could do with the horse, I felt like the biggest fool in the world for not already knowing how he did that because it wasn't easy breaking those horses to lead uh, when you're about a 90-pound kid trying to hold on to one when he was running down the road and you had a shank on him. So uh, I'm really an advocate of what, of what Monty Monty uh, taught us and helped us with. Well, Duncan, I, this is Monty, and I, I really appreciate what you said. 
And if you think back on it, it was Daddy Joe that sat up there on that round pen at some farm where they took me for some television thing. And he listened to every other farm manager around that pen say, well, yeah, but it's kind of a voo-voo thing and it doesn't really matter and so forth and so on. And when they got to Daddy Joe Taylor, uh, Duncan's dad and father of Taylor Made Farms, uh, he said, look, boys, I'm really disappointed in you. We've just seen a better way. And uh, you're just dismissing this. Well, you know, I haven't done a join up in Kentucky for 20 years. And and the attitude has changed because more and more people have found, you know, there's something to this. And if everybody could start doing this, polo would go ahead by miles because the horses would come to them with a better mind. But they're still breaking thoroughbreds, getting jumping on them in a stall and whipping them around the stall with a with a uh, you know a, a racing whip. And um, and they're still doing some things that are just off the charts in terms of making trouble for themselves instead of causing cooperative horses. And I'm here to say I would go back there and I, I would love to do this thing. And, and, you know, I believe the time is right now to really make a transformation in the way we deal with horses. Mm. That's wonderful. You know, it's, a, it's not a, an easy thing. It, it, well, if you're... It take what it takes a long time to do is get the person to the skill level that Monty and some other people that are in the natural horsemanship world are. It takes time to do that, but once they know the language of the horse, it you know it doesn't take a long time for the horse to start cooperating. It's pretty amazing how the horse responds within you know he could have a horse that is non-trusting and the horse is trusting him in, in 30, 40 minutes. Enjoying being with him instead of wanting to go away from him. Yeah, and probably what a lot of you don't know is that we've had a school here for 25 years. And so we have a lot of students out there and 84 certified instructors. And um, Duncan, the thing is, I've gotten a lot of information about how to teach it so that people can get it quicker now. Uh, with methods that we've used in teaching it that are far improved over what anything you saw. Yeah, well, that's, that's great. We need to update ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Party in Kentucky. I can hear it now. So it sounds like we need to do a roundup in Kentucky, but thank you all. I, I, I've kept you a long time and I appreciate everything that, uh, you shared here today. I, I think, um, I think you're all going to go out and try your hands at join up now if you're not already using it. And I think we've um, maybe repurposed a lot of OTTBs today and maybe into some other disciplines besides polo. But certainly polo is doing a good job right now of uh, organizing themselves. And I appreciate you, Nick and Chris, for um, for your accomplishments, certainly, but also pointing out uh, that horses like you. Thank you very much. Yep. And, and, uh, yeah, and Duncan, I, I, I wanted to tell you that um, I heard an interview with uh, Stuart Pittman and recently, and he said that his fantasy ride would be to take Chrome for a spin. So you two might want to get together. <laughs> and he, he's uh, doing yeah. a good job. Yeah. So thank you very well, much. All of- yeah, see, there you go. Okay, we got it on tape. So I'm uh, honored to be on with you guys, and uh, I'd love to come to Lexington and see you soon. Whisper. Of the herd. Listen, you don't have to say a word.
It's time for Jamie Jennings to fetch an email from Monty Roberts' inbox and share a morsel of Monty's wisdom in a little segment we like to call Ask Monty. Leave this world a better place than mine. The magic in the language of the Dear Monty, what's the most important thing I should know about dealing with a two-month-old foal? Monty's answer. The most important knowledge that I can impart to you is to be safe and work with your foal without violence or force. At two months of age, probably the most important work is leading the foal alongside his mother. I further suggest that it is important to groom and pick up the feet, encouraging your foal to stand and to be comfortable with you during these procedures. While full imprinting is usually executed in the first hour of life, imprinting first impressions can be done right through the growing up years. I would suggest studying the section on full imprinting in my textbook From My Hands to Yours, and also recommend books by Dr. Robert Miller regarding the care and training of foals. One of the pitfalls I would suggest you take great care to avoid is feeding from the hand. It is also extremely important to understand the principles behind, uh, behind allowing a horse to remain a horse. Many people are guilty of overhumanizing the young horse. For more of these insights into good horsemanship, go to www.montyroberts.com and click on the orange banner that says, Get Free Horse Tips. Hi, I'm Monty Roberts, and I'm dedicated to training horses without pain. You can learn to do it, too, on my Equus Online University. Western, English, the beginner, or the advanced rider, it doesn't matter. You can connect with other students online, too, on our forum, and there's a new lesson every week. It's a lifetime of learning for you on my Equus Online University at MontyRoberts.com. In the wide, wide world of sports, is it going on here? Where in the world is Monty Roberts? Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two-legged and four-legged. And that'll be in March 11 and 12. He'll be in Brazil near Sao Paulo. And then March 18th will be in Ingliston. That's way up in Scotland. Then March 25, he'll be way down in Dorset, 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 UK. That's with Martin Clunes at the Kingston Marward College. He's so fun. Hope he brings Bruce. And then March 31 will be in Germany. That's on tour in Munich. April 9th will be in Redfin. April 20th will be in Dorsten. April 22 will be in Alsfeld. And then April 30th, he skips over to Hungary. He'll be near Budapest in Hungary. Yeah, that just got added. That's a new date. And then July 10 through 21, he'll be uh, on the course. I mean, I feel like he's a student in there just like everybody else is. You're in with Monty on the Gentling Wild Horses course at Flag is Up Farms, California. That's the first one that Jamie took. And uh, it's been just hugely popular. So get right in there. And then July 31 through 4th of August, that's Monty's special training. And that's at Flag is Up Farms in USA as well. So when someone wants to attend the Gentling Wild Horses or Monty's special training, they should just mm-hmm. contact uh, Flag is Up Farms 
Yep. Yep. Call Adam Bates there. He is a real friendly guy and he can get you right hooked up. Or you can go on the website that you can actually sign up for the courses online if it's the middle of the night or whatever. We have such an international group. We didn't want to conform them to the business hours. So (laughs) there you you go. Both ways. There you go. So the website, that's MontyRoberts.com. Or if you mm-hmm. want to chat with the clever and helpful folks at Matt Flag is Up Farms, the phone number there is 805-688-6288. And for details about today's show, woohoo, it was something else, go to horsemanshipradio.com <laughs> and we'll have some pictures and we'll have links to all the different guests and more information. And oh we gosh. love your feedback. Where can folks find Please. us to give us yeah. feedback? What's the best place? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, you got to follow us on Facebook. You got to go to facebook.com forward slash Monty Roberts. Or if you're a Twitter, as Jen says, if you do little bitty characters, what is it, 140 characters? Then go to twitter.com forward slash Monty underscore Roberts. Here we go. And how do they get the app? How do they get the app? You can go to your app store on your phone, Android or iPhone. Go to your app store and search horse radio network it's a free app no need to pay any money there are no ads on our app either it's quick and it's free and it works every time won't miss an episode that's right works a trick many thanks to our sponsors too ifa.com omega fields and monty's equus online university be sure to visit all the other great shows too on the horse radio network at www.horseradionetwork.com until next time have many happy horse hours